Welcome to It's Time on CSN International, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. On today's episode, we'll be listening to Senior Pastor Mike Kessler as he teaches in the book of Mark. Each of the four Gospels has a different approach and different audience targeted by the Holy Spirit. The book of Mark is a fast-paced, action-packed tome focused on Christ's role as a servant. By studying the examples of Christ in the book of Mark, we can learn a great deal about what our life as Christians should look like and the heart of Christ. With our study on Mark, here's Pastor Mike. Chapter 9, we find uh, Jesus is getting ready to go to Jerusalem. He's getting ready to die. And, and I believe that Jesus here is doing everything that he can do to affirm to the disciples that death ain't the end of it all. Now, again, a lot of times we think we're told by the songs on the radio. Uh, we remember the old Beatles songs, uh, you know, um, Strawberry Fields Forever. I mean, there's nothing that's beyond the grave. Well, the Bible says that there is much beyond the grave. In fact, this is just determining where you're going to spend eternity. And so, as we look at uh, chapter 9, verse 1, And Jesus said to them, Surely I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God in present with power. Uh, they're going to see God's present with power. Now, um, what, what people might say is, what is that? Well, we find this also recorded for us in Matthew uh, chapter 16 and also uh, Luke chapter 9. And this is called uh, where Jesus was transfigured before them. In fact, Jesus said, some of you will not taste death till you see the Son of Man coming in his glory. Now, a lot of people wonder what that means. Does that mean that Jesus, uh, th- those disciples weren't going to die? No, it's exactly what it's talking about. The very next verse begins to explain what Jesus meant about people seeing him in his glory. Now, someday, friends, you're going to see this same thing. So I think this is always important uh, that we would understand, uh, again, what we're to expect when we get to heaven. You know, I think God puts these things in his word so we, when we get to heaven, we're not like a bunch of country bumpkins up there going, what's this, what's that, you know? Uh, God puts it in his word so we'll know what to expect. You know, again, uh, you, you look and, and see what uh, uh, Hollywood tells us about what they think heaven is. You know, uh, just a big social club in heaven playing golf on the lower nine, you know, or something, I don't know. God can afford a full 18 holes, not just a half course. But they all have these weird concepts of what heaven is like. Well, the Bible tells us what heaven's like, and we're going to see Jesus Christ in his glory. Now, when he was here on the earth, he came in the form of a human, born in a manger. We know the story. But you know, the Bible says that he was a king and he gave up all his kingliness to come down and redeem sinful man. That, first of all, tells me a lot about each one of us that we're valuable to God. You may not be valuable to anybody in this world, but you're valuable to God. God has a great value that he's placed upon you. Also, it tells me that God loved you so much that he would have given up all of heaven to come and redeem you. So that, that's important. In fact, as we remember in John chapter 14, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I do, I'm going to come back and get you that where I am, there you're going to be also. Now, friends, I, I think that's really, uh, really important because uh, God's going to come and, and, and take us all home one of these days and we're going to be out of here. But So Jesus said, you're not going to, again, as he says, some of you won't taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. You're going to, and it tells me something else. Heaven's a real place. It's not a fig newton of your imperial margarine. It's not some imaginary place. It's a real place that God has prepared for us. Second thing is his with power. So uh, it's going to be that of great authority. So verse 2. After six days, 
Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, so much as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared with them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. Well, if you don't know what to say, say something. I think it's amazing that Peter recognized the need to communicate with God. I think it was noteworthy here that he recognized, he said, let us build three tabernacles, one for you, Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, somebody might ask the question, well, how did the disciples know that it was Moses and Elijah? Did they have name tags on or what? I believe it was in the conversation, no doubt, that Jesus was having with them. And, and uh, mentioning their name, mentioning probably Moses and Elijah. And so Peter picks up on that and says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let, let us do something to communicate and, and to build this and, and memorialize it. This is something that meant something to Peter in a way that he would respond to it. He didn't know what to say, but he felt compelled to do something. Now, again, when you, when you stop to think about these transfigured beings before them. You know, the Bible, if you go into Revelation chapter um, 22, verse 9, or 19, uh, verse 10, uh, it talks about John falling down to worship the angel that was showing him all these incredible things uh, in the book of Revelation. And this angel said, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant, even from your own family and from your own tribe. Worship God. Now, I I would like to say that if you were to see you in heaven, maybe a hundred years from now, earth years, but in heaven, you wouldn't recognize yourself because you'll be in in a new body. You'll be radiant. In fact, um, John kept trying to worship one of us folk. In fact, maybe it was one of you in heaven. Maybe you might be on one of the tour guides or something in heaven. He said, look, I'm from your fellow kinsmen. I'm I'm a, a fellow Brother in the Lord, don't worship me, worship God. If you were to see yourself in in a transfigured state where you're going to be and what you're going to be like in heaven, friends, I'll tell you something, that's going to be something pretty neat. And that's something you're never going to want to miss out on. Don't think that all there is to this life is what you see. The Bible says that this is just the beginning of your eternity. And you know, again, everybody determines living this life each day where you're going to spend eternity. And, you know, if we uh, have come into the blood of Christ, our sins are forgiven. And, friends, we need our sins forgiven. Past, present, and future. You know, you look at the uh, people in the Bible who uh, were forgiven. The Bible says, oh, how happy is that man. You know, it's good to feel to be separated from the things of your past. You know, it's like, it's like I don't know if you've ever done something or you've even been around somebody and you just felt dirty and afterwards you just wanted to go take a shower. You just kind of wanted to wash that feeling off of you. Well, it's, it's, it's like that in our souls. Our souls get dirty by living in this world. The Bible says we were born with a dirty soul. Now, I know, friends, that's hard for you to believe unless you're around little kids. And as cute as they are with their toothless little smiles, and you put one toy in the room, they're going to be... In fact, what's really strange is even weirder than that. You put a kid, you put a couple kids in a room with a lot of toys in the room, and the toy that the one kid picks up is the one that everybody wants. 
And then they all start scrapping and pulling hair and screaming and tearing their clothes off just because the one kid picked up one toy and everybody else wants that one. That's the old sin nature. The Bible says we need to be separated from that. We need to be born again. And so it's something that we couldn't do in ourselves. And just going to church, just being good, just being religious, you might say. And what I mean by that is, you know, crossing the uh, T's and dotting the I's and trying to do everything right. We somehow think that that's guaranteed us eternal life. Well, the Bible here tells us that it isn't. It isn't in what we've done. It's what God's done for us. And so Peter, seeing Jesus in his glorified state, Not as just Jesus, who was one of the guys, you might say. But now seeing Jesus in his um, glorified state. And again, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem because he was going to die. And again, he was trying to affirm to the disciples, there is life beyond the grave. And look, here's what it's like. Some of you standing here are not going to die until you see the Son of Man in his radiant glory. And so Jesus now is transfigured before them. Moses and Elisha come, which shows that the grave is not it. Here's Moses. Here's Elisha walking with Jesus. They're not in some soul slumber sleep grave waiting for resurrection day. They were walking there with Jesus. And so, verse 7, cloud came and overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. And so the cloud came, enveloped them. They heard the voice, and when the cloud lifted, it was just Jesus standing there with the disciples again. Boy, talk about close encounters of the real kind. That's where Jesus actually, actually in his radiance, was like he would be in heaven. And so they saw him, and, and, and the, re- the reaction was so pronounced in Peter's life that he said, Lord, let us build a tabernacle for you right here, right now. I don't know how he was going to do that, start stacking stones up or whatever, but there was a reaction in the glory and the radiance of God. You know, friends, I, I know a lot of times people say things like, well, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to put my arm around the Lord and just say, you know, my old good buddy. You know, I think when you see Jesus in his radiant glory, you're going to go, oh. Wow, that is like something I, you know, I mean, have you ever been scared? There's a lot of scary movies sometimes and people get scared. I don't know why people pay money to get scared. I think life is just supplies enough of that. But anyway, but, but, you know, there's, or, or, you know, like in in the middle of the night and you get scared, you you hear a sound, a bump in the, in the night. and What was that? What was that? You know, maybe he's out, somebody's out in the garage trying to steal my Chevy engine. Yeah, that's what they're taking Guys think weird things, you know, I mean. But, but we, we think that, we get scared. And, and we start wondering what's out there, what's the unknown. That fear is what causes, that unknown is what causes the fear, friends. And so, again, when, when we see what the Bible has to say about who Jesus Christ is, and that not only is he Lord and God, he's worthy to be praised. We, we have somebody, the Bible says, that not only empathizes with us, understands what we go through. Now, I, and again, we've talked about that before. The difference between empathy and sympathy. The Bible says that God empathizes with us. He feels what we feel. He knows what it's like to go through what you've gone through. Sympathy is where you put your arm around somebody and go, Oh, I feel sorry for you. Too bad that you feel bad. And then they walk off and don't. But empathy is where you say, I feel what you feel. God knows those things in your life. He understands those deep longings of your soul. 
And I believe, again, as we see here the, the close encounter of, of, of Jesus actually being revealed to them in His radiant glory, the reaction of Peter was that he would build a tabernacle. He, it compelled him to do something. And friends, I don't think you can come in a close encounter with the Lord without it compelling you to do something. And as you would see God in your life, it compels you to change things. Now friends, I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced we can't change things in ourselves. We make our New Year's resolutions and guaranteed by February they're almost all forgotten. But you know the thing is, is that God can help us change areas of our life that we know that we need to change, that we have no power in ourselves to change. It's impossible that you have a face-to-face encounter with God and things in your life will not change. That's why sometimes during the worship service, or maybe sometimes during prayer, or maybe sometimes as you're reading the Word, you'll feel the Holy Spirit speak to your heart about an issue of your life. This is God saying, hey, listen, I want to help you Correct this in your life. This area of lack that you have. Listen, God calls us His children. Do you know one thing that all children that I have found have in common? They lack. They do. That's why you're a parent and they're kids. Because if they could take care of themselves, if they could, uh, if they could provide for themselves, they wouldn't be children. We're God's children, friends. That tells me that we're uh, completely dependent upon the Lord for everything. Now again... We're dependent upon His love. We're dependent upon His kindness. We're dependent upon His giving to us. We're dependent upon His healing. Friends, all the way through the Scripture, it tells us how God is Jehovah Jireh, our provider, the one who takes care of us. We need to be taken care of. If you're not a Christian here this morning, and maybe a friend brought you, and you thought, well, I'll go, and I heard they had a band, and uh, I'll go hear it. But I want you to hear this. If you're not a Christian here this morning, there is no one who takes care of you. And friends, it feels good to be taken care of. Only God knows what you need. Sometimes we look to our spouses or to our jobs and we go, I want security or I want them to understand or I want them to know me. Listen, only God knows you. Do you realize what a complex being we all are? All the little things about us that make you individual from somebody else. And yet only God knows that. And I think God's got a... a, You know, God doesn't have a whole lot to work with when it comes to looks. Have you ever thought about that? Two eyes, a nose, and a mouth, some ears, a little bit of hair, and every one of us look different. How does God do that? It's amazing to me. That God, in, in, in just the simplest form, has given us all an identity. And yet, for some reason, we think because God has given us each an individual identity that God wouldn't know each of our individual identities and knows exactly what you need and how to minister to that need. A lot of times we just think, well, uh, I know what I need in my life, God. No, you may know part of what you need, but you don't know the net result if you had God answer the prayer the way you prayed it, what that would really do in your life. Only God really knows what's best for you. And so letting God be God in our life, going back, and when we have a close encounter with the Lord, Lord, it's good for me to be here. (laughs) It's good. There's a reaction in my soul. Sometimes I don't always know what to say, but God, I want to do something. God's touched your heart. God touched Peter's heart. I believe in this, and this is why Peter did that. So it says, suddenly, verse 8 again, when they looked around, they saw no one anymore but Jesus with themselves. Now when they came down from the mountain... 
He commanded them that they should tell no one the things that they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning, what does rising from the dead mean? <laughs> huh? Now, see, Jesus was showing them something. Look, even though you're going to see me die, that isn't it. You just saw me radiantly transformed what I'm going to be like in the not too distant future. I think Jesus did that as a comfort to those disciples to know again that the grave is not the end of it. And don't tell anybody about this until after I raise from the dead. And they're going, okay, we'll do that. What does he mean by that? Well, again, Jesus was pointing out something to them and showing them and confirming to them. You know, I have found a lot of times God will do things in our lives that we don't completely understand when God tells us. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes you'll you'll hear somebody say, we need to read the Bible and get your spiritual batteries charged up. Well, why? I'm not going through anything right now. It won't be long before you are. You know why? Because live fish swim against a world that's going the wrong way. And, and, And a lot of times God will show us something that we completely don't understand at the time. Or God will say something to us at the time. And, and we may not completely understand it, but down the road it'll make sense. I often think about uh, where Jesus had all these people following him. He, he did the all-you-could-eat-fish-and-chips thing. You know, he multiplied the loaves and fishes. And the people liked that. Had to be good. And, and really, you know, who's cooking Jesus? Great. Okay, I'll do it. But he multiplied the loaves and fishes. And then the Bible says that he did it again. And Jesus perceived that the crowds were beginning to follow him, not because of what he was saying, but because they wanted their bellies filled. So Jesus... You know, everybody's full of food and it was all a great meal. And then Jesus stands up and looks at everybody and says, Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And the people went, Ah! Cannibalism! Ah! And the Bible says they all left him. Except just the disciples. Jesus looked at the disciples and said, Will you leave also? Peter said, Well, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. I mean... You know, we had a pretty good crowd following us, Jesus. Why did you have to say that, you know? But the disciples that stood close to Jesus, they didn't maybe understand what Jesus meant by that. But they stuck with him. Everybody else that was there for the wrong reason, they left. The Bible tells us that. There was, we know that there was, the crowds were into the thousands of people. And they all left except just the disciples were there. And that's when Peter said, well, you have the words of eternal life. Where else would we go? It wasn't until several weeks later that Jesus was there in the upper room. And he picked up the cup and he picked up the bread. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he breaks the bread and he passes it around. And I can just see the disciples going, that's what he meant. Sometimes God will tell us things and we don't completely understand it at the time God tells us. But friends, listen, it isn't in in air that God has said those things to you. Maybe God has spoken to you. Maybe you're single and you're dating somebody that's, that's not a Christian. And the Holy Spirit said, you know, you need to get out of this. This is going to hurt your relationship with me down the road. It's going to hurt you. And we go, but I don't understand that he seems or she seems to be such a nice person. And then down the road, you see what God was telling you. Maybe there's a business thing, or maybe there's a particular area of your life that the Holy Spirit is dealing with. And because He loves you, He says, listen, you need to get out of this. 
Well, I don't understand why. Well, it's because the Holy Spirit speaks to those that He loves. He he, he cares about you so that you don't get hurt. You see, again, father-child relationship. Honey, I I love you. Don't allow this to keep going on in your life. This is going to hurt you. And so God in His love separates us from the things that will destroy our lives. But I don't understand that, God. Why are you doing that? Listen, I just told you, you'll see. If God's spoken something to you and you don't completely understand it, wait, God will show you what He means by it. The disciples didn't really understand what the Mount of Transfiguration, I believe, was all about. They had a close encounter. It caused a reaction. But Jesus said, don't tell anybody about it until after I've risen from the dead. They said, okay. What does he mean, risen from the dead? Well, verse 11. So they ask him, Jesus. They ask Jesus saying, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and told them, Elijah does come first and restores all things. And how is written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you, Elijah has also come. And they did to him whatever they wished as it is written of him. This is speaking of John the Baptist. In fact, Jesus said in one of the other Gospels, if you can receive it, John the Baptist was Elijah. Now, the spirit of Elijah was upon John the Baptist. Now, we do know here where he's saying this, that Elijah will come before the great and notable day of the Lord. And this is speaking uh, there of the one of the two witnesses that we find in Revelation. Sometimes when you read Revelation, uh, you come across where it says that God's going to send two witnesses uh, on the earth to warn the world not to take the mark of the beast, Now, these are the people, friends, that did not go in the rapture of the church. These are the people that I believe that you've told about the Lord, and they look at you, and they say, well, that's nice for you, honey, you know, you know. Then one day, the Lord comes, and the Bible uses the word caught up. The word rapture is not in the Bible. We get the word rapture, rapture from the the Latin, uh, for the word caught up, and that's where we get the word rapture. But it's actually the caught up will come. This is what Jesus spoke of. No man knows the hour or the day. This is what that's speaking of. And we're going to be caught up to be with him in the air. And then I believe all the people that we've told about the Lord, maybe people that have flipped through the radio dial and heard about Jesus or something else, and they just kind of blow it off. You know, Jesus gave the signs of his return, friends. He said that watch Jerusalem, watch Israel. That's the clock. And when you see Jerusalem under Jewish control, you know that that generation is not going to pass away. You might want to check that out. That's in Luke chapter 21. Well, what does that tell you then? It tells you to be ready. And then he says, when you begin to see these things happen, what things? Well, he lists the pestilences and the earthquakes, hurricanes that have battered the United States, the most costly natural disasters in the history of America. Now, when you start seeing the worst in history, the worst in history, the worst in history, Jesus said this, he said, with understanding that Jerusalem is under Jewish control. He said, when you begin to see these things happen, look up, your redemption draws nigh. This is in Luke chapter 21 again. So the Bible says that we're going to get called out of here one of these days. One of these days, something better than winning a $300 million lottery is going to happen to you. And that is, you're going to get raptured. You're going to be gone out of here. The Bible says in a moment, a twinkling of an eye, We're going to be caught up to be with him in the air and there we'll ever be. Now the Bible says to comfort one another with these words. So I don't, I'm never embarrassed about telling people about, hey, get ready. We're looking for the upper taker. You know, it's true. Because one of these days the Lord's going to come 
The Bible says Gabriel is going to blow his trumpet. We're going to be transformed and we're going to be out of here. You're going to be feeling a little weightless. That's okay. That's Pastor Mike Kessler on It's Time. If you've missed any part of today's episode, I'd like to inform you that we offer It's Time for free as a podcast download in the iTunes store. If you'd like a hard copy that you can keep and share, give us a call at 800-357-4226 and the operator can help you with that. Don't forget, It's Time to Grow. Pastor Mike's book on the Christian walk is also available completely free for you by calling that toll-free number I just mentioned. Tune in next time for more It's Time. Oh, 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 oh,